Hello there, and welcome to the Workplace Communication Podcast, a podcast dedicated to leaders who want to elevate team performance by refining leadership communication skills. And now, let's dive right in with your host, Lindsay LaPaquette. Hey there, folks. So we have received some very difficult, life-altering news recently. And before I get on with this week's episode, I wanted to come on here to share a little bit about what is going on, because I have an ask for you. And those who know me well, who would attest to the fact that asking for help is perhaps not my strongest suit. And I suppose that this is going to be the year that I learn to ask for lots of help. We've learned recently that my husband, Jerome, or Jérôme, has been diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. He had no symptoms other than fatigue. It came up on a standard blood test, and so as you can imagine, our world has been turned very upside down, as I suspect is the case for anyone who goes through something like this. He's been in isolation in the hospital since this was discovered. He's at very high risk of catching an infection that could be very dangerous and even fatal because he has no immune system right now. He has started chemotherapy already and uh, he is hospitalized for a minimum of 30 days, followed by another period a fair distance from our home and uh, which will be followed by either remission more chemotherapy, and or a stem cell transplant, depending on what is learned in genetic testing in the next few weeks. So, um, undoubtedly, things are going to get increasingly difficult around here, I think, as the complexity of uh, adjusting to this starts to weigh in more. My husband not only does an awful lot around the house, and with the kids, but he also uh, works within my business. And I would be lying if I said that beyond my fears and concerns around his health and our family, that I don't also have concerns about my business and how to sustain business growth or even sustain my business at where it is now with reduced capacity. And I'll be working to figure that out. I'm in no way giving up. That's not me. But my ask to you today, I have three options or three ideas of ways you could help if you are so inclined. So number one would be to consider donating blood. If that is not something you do already, uh, he and many other patients require very high numbers of blood transfusions. And so if you would consider donating blood, that is one way you could help. Another, if you're between the ages of 17 and 35 and in good health, you could consider registering to be a stem cell donor, which can save someone's life. If you are pregnant, you can consider donating cord blood, as I did with our two kids, without even really fully realizing the implications of what I was doing at that time. 
The other way I would ask for help if you are so inclined is that if you have enjoyed and continue to enjoy this podcast, if you have confidence in my expertise around leadership communication and my ability to help teams connect better with one another, to help leaders lead in a way that is more authentic to themselves and effective, if you have confidence in my ability to help teams work through conflict, I would ask that you please consider sending over referrals as you come across people who are needing these kinds of services. It would greatly alleviate my concerns and challenges around keeping the business stable if you would keep me in mind as you hear of people needing speaking and training and coaching services in the realm of leadership communication and team communication. So the blood donation, the stem cell transplants, if you're in Canada, you can go to www.blood.ca, Canadian Blood Services. Elsewhere, I'm sure quick Google will take you to where you need to go elsewhere in the world. And uh, if you're considering sending over a referral, you can send them to my website, lindsaylapaquette.com. There is a button for a discovery call. There is also my email address. Feel free to send an email intro. And I would appreciate um, help in whatever way people are able to give. And even if that is only just sending over or holding uh, hopeful, positive thoughts for myself, my family, and of course, for my husband as uh, we journey through this. Thank you. Welcome back again, everyone, to another episode of the Workplace Communication Podcast. Today, we're talking with Penny Tremblay about creating more peace, productivity, and profit in your workplace. Penny is the founder of Tremblay Leadership Center and the Workplace Sandbox System. Organizations save millions of dollars by helping their teams manage conflict from the inside out. Harvard training and years of experience bring fresh concepts and stories to inspire productivity and peace in the workplace sandbox. Now, Penny is our very first returning guest on the Workplace Communication Podcast. Woohoo! Bet you didn't even know that. We <laughs> did not. I'm so honored to be the one that gets to come back first. You are. So thank you for doing a second uh, episode with us. And for the listeners who want to go back to that initial episode, you can take a look after listening to this one to episode 20, where uh, we talk about new workplace conflict trends and resolutions. So like I said, thanks for coming back again, Penny. You're very welcome. So Penny was one of the first to accept to uh, be on the podcast way back when we didn't even know if anyone would be listening. And now we're ranking the top 5% of all podcasts globally. And yeah, and we were ranked as the number one top workplace podcast last year. So thank you for being with me at the very beginning and helping to build that audience. I've got chills. Thank you. So Penny, tell me what you have been up to lately in your work. Well, I think I've had my biggest year ever because um, not only are people recognizing the need to come together with a sandbox session when there's conflict, but Teams have been so fragmented because of the pandemic that um, I've been asked to come in and just facilitate team building and team development uh, processes. And so my proposals have different titles, but my process is always the same. 
which I can tell you about later if you want to know. So that's what I've been up to. I've had a very busy year uh, and I travel all over, mostly Ontario and New England, the five um, northeastern states of the U.S., but I've been down doing some work uh, in Florida and I've got some clients uh, popping up in the U.S., so that's always fun. I got married, so that's spectacular. I'm in my mid-50s and I finally have a husband, so it's really weird to say the word husband when you've been saying like, spouse and partner and boyfriend all along. Um, I guess that's a little TMI. Yes, I've had a few <laughs> long, longer relationships over time. Um, but I think, you know, what I'm most proud of in my life are my children. And they're in their early 20s and they're doing awesome. Um, and we are really continuing to develop strong relationships. And so Relationships are everywhere, right? It's not just at work, but the tools that we learn through professional development at work can be used in all aspects of our life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first off, congratulations on your marriage. I think it's important. Yeah. yeah to celebrate that. So I'm very happy for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what I was going to say was that I think there's this concept sometime of there's workplace communication skills and then there's other skills. And I, I agree with you that they're just human skills that we apply in different settings. And yes, perhaps there's a bit of nuance in how we use them, but I think yes. wherever you learn them, you get the benefit of that throughout your life. Absolutely. And you know, like the nuances thing, I, I think that's a very good topic because um, in order to work through conflict, people have to be comfortable with discomfort. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it sounds like an oxymoron, but uh, people have to be comfortable People have to be willing to go through the discomfort, but also people have to be willing to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, so in the work that I do with teams, sometimes there's tears and I welcome tears. I think tears are very uh, sentimental and they're very honest and they're very rich. Um, you know, if I told you a joke and made you laugh, that's you sharing your emotion. And I'd be very excited about that. And if I told you a story and I made you cry or tear up, that's also an emotion. And I'm very comfortable with that. But a lot of people aren't comfortable with certain emotions in the workplace. And so they get pushed down and then they kind of like vent out the sides. And sometimes it comes out in resentment and anger. So I really think that um, the way we communicate at work or in a professional setting, yes, it does have to sometimes have a filter. But if you read up on the idea of the culture of candor, which you can read about in my new book, or you could just go look it up online, C-A-N-D-O-R, candor. The culture of candor is what most high-functioning teams are mm -hmm. seeking. Most open-minded leaders are seeking a culture of candor where everybody can have honest and appropriate conversation. Like if I say healthy teams embrace conflict, but if there's a problem and we need to solve it, um, we need to gather around, roll up our sleeves, talk about the problem and be honest and not take things personally because there's nothing personal really about a business problem. But a lot of people take their roles so seriously. They're so passionate and they take things personally and that's where we get entangled. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you think of all the time and money spent on somebody not 
sharing what they know about what is contributing to that problem because they're afraid of whatever, of judgment, of uh, getting in trouble, whatnot. And then you multiply that across the number of times that that happens across an organization in just one day. I think it's insidious and it's huge. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You know, the fear of speaking up, the fear of retaliation, the fear of like just letting your boss or manager know what you really think. Those things that hold us back are extremely costly. Um, But also what I think is very costly is when a workplace has to go through an investigation because somebody's filed a formal complaint. And this is where I plead with people like we need to be comfortable having face to face conversations and we're just not that comfortable doing that anymore. In fact, you'll uh, like, you know, this might sound stereotypical, but if you look at the trend of the different workplace generations, you've got the baby boomers and the Gen Xers who came into the workforce like myself. I'm in my mid 50s. I've been working since I was 18 in an office. Um, Back in those days, I had a typewriter. I smoked at my desk even, like sorry to say, but yeah, things are really different now. But we talked face to face. If I wanted to go see my manager, I went and sat in her desk and we had a cigarette. Um, sorry, that's just sounds so horrible, but it just goes to paint the picture of how much times have changed, right? Yeah. Um, I would wish that everybody could go and sit with their manager and have a face to face conversation and not smoke. <laughs> but, you know, it's so important to have face to face conversations and we're losing the art because the younger generations are, have grown up with digital communication at their fingertips, phones and iPads and computers that they can just text their stuff. So we're really losing that art of face to face conversation. Mm. And that is really in, impact. Um, it's really important when we are working through difficulty in um, conflict situations that we're not using digital communication, that we're getting face-to-face or on a video like you and I right now. can We can see each other. You can see my expressions. You can hear my tone of voice. You can see my body language. Um, if I'm texting that, you're only reading it through your lens. And your lens can be tainted by your own fears and insecurities from the past, but also from um, ammunition or information that you've gleaned from me or, you know, your perception of me and and our previous interactions. And one word and you're like, oh, and she said this. And somebody else will read that same text and go, yeah, so I don't understand the problem. So it's really... Uh, creating a huge disconnect. And back to my original point about investigations. Um, Investigations are required by law when an employee files a formal complaint, like a workplace discrimination or harassment complaint. You know, an HR manager has to do an investigation, whether they can do it internally or whether they have to hire an outside agency, usually a legal firm. The cost is exorbitant. And if we could just get people talking to each other in a safe and productive way, all that could change. I can't tell you how many times that I've had people say at the end of my process, this whole thing could have been avoided with a five-minute conversation. I go, yes, yes, yes. You know, this is exactly what we need to do is we need to come together and talk about things. 
And one other example just happened in my own community of um, North Bay, Ontario, uh, a few months ago. There was, with the mayor and council, there was a councillor. <clears throat> I think I'm getting the story right. All I know is it was a $36,000 investigation that cost our taxpayers because somebody questioned somebody else on whether they were able to do their role because they were pregnant. Okay. Now, I know like a, a lot of women, the back, you know, the hair on your neck just stood up when I said that because we don't want to, we're working for equality. We want to be recognized as equal. But my point is if somebody felt um, insulted or put out because somebody else said something, they should have been able to talk about it. They should have been able to say, you know, can we meet after the meeting? I want to talk to you about something that was said because I really want to seek to understand um, what you mean. And if they could have talked to each other. Yeah. Right. But it was this big thing. It was $36,000. It was in the paper. And then there was all of this like um, letters to the editor and people standing up for different counsel. And you know what? It's just such a hardship that we have to spend that kind of money when all we have to do is recognize that yeah, where there's humans, there's going to be conflict that pops up from time to time. And that's an opportunity yes. to really exercise uh, your assertiveness muscles or your communication or your resiliency or your ability to want to work things out to get through to the other side for the benefit of what you're doing, which in this case is serving the people mm -hmm. of the town. Yeah. I am so with you. I, in fact, this morning, um, my sister had posted something on Facebook to get back to your point about electronic communication, and somebody else had written two words underneath it that I was interpreting as saying to my sister, no, you're completely wrong. And I happened to share my sister's opinion. And so I gave a little spiel. And then at the end, I thought, unless I'm misinterpreting, it's two words, right? Unless that's actually saying, yes, I agree with you. And so then I threw that line underneath. And actually, my sister texted me after and said, oh, I know that person. Like, essentially, I'd misinterpreted the comment. I was saying something because I thought it was inappropriate in had I interpreted it correctly. But it took until I was about to hit send for me to realize, oh, wait a second. And if you think of when you talked earlier about um, that risk with electronic, I don't have the context on that person that I would have on you, let's say, Penny, because I know you through our professional speaking association. Yes. If it was you, I, I know what you stand for. I know your values. I, you know, I know you as a person. And so I, I actually would probably give a little more grace, not even consciously, but just because I have the context in which to interpret that. And I do think we're missing out on an awful lot of that. And then I think because people aren't having the opportunity to practice those skills, it gets scarier and scarier, right? When uh, all of a sudden you're in a spot where you need to address something and it's sometimes easier to go and file a complaint. Not easier in a, it creates lots of complexity, but easier in that you don't have to firsthand uh, deal with the person you're in conflict with directly. It's triangling essentially, right? It's pulling in a third party to, yeah, absolutely. Very complex. Yes. We could avoid a lot. We could avoid a lot of unnecessary stress. I'll say stress yes. in a, you know, lightly, um, personal stress, 
external stress, uh, costs, money, all of that things. Yeah. All of those things by just really seeking to understand the other person and their perspective first. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Emotions act faster than logic. So what you did was you acted on your emotions, yeah. like your big sister protection uh, yeah. or little your protection. It was actually like social justice. It okay. was my social justice uh, gene that was like, nope. <laughs> and then, yeah, that moment of, oh, hang on. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear more. You were talking earlier about the processes you use um, when you're working with clients. I'd love to hear more about that because I think that can be helpful to people listening who are dealing with situations and who are looking for ways to untangle all of it. Okay. Well, um, I think I gave the biggest tip away already that, you know, we need to be listening to each other. So most workplace policies for conflict resolution say, if you have conflict with somebody, it's your responsibility to attempt to resolve that conflict first. And if you can't, then you go to your manager. Uh, so that's important, right? Because yeah. we can't be doing people's um, um, conflict resolution for them, really. We can aid them, but we can't really do their speaking and listening for them. And we do want to build trust so that in the future, when they do have to work together, talk together, meet or yeah collaborate, then then there's no crumbs between them or, you know, there's no crust, there's no residue. Uh, it's just a clear connection. But what happens is a lot of times people will go to their manager and supervisor with their concerns like, you need to go and talk to Billy and you tell him. And so the manager feels like, whoa, you know, I have this problem that I have to deal with. So then they go to Billy to try to tell Billy what, like, let's say Susie said about him. And the whole thing just snowballs into yeah. something way larger than it needs to be. Um, so the process that I use is we need to get people speaking and listening to each other. Yeah. Right. Uh, so how to use this process without me is just encourage people to go and speak and listen to each other. Um, so if somebody does come to their manager and say, you know, you need to go talk to Billy. If I was Susie's manager, I would say, oh, um, I understand that you feel that uh, you're in conflict or you, you know, I understand that blah, 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 whatever she just said, I'll tell her what she told me. Um, I'm not agreeing with her and I'm not, you know, making her feel that she's right. I'm just intending to make her feel understood and heard. Step one, mic drop here. That's enough. That's sometimes yeah. enough to solve a situation is just helping somebody feel heard. And so, um, then I would say, have you talked to Billy? Um, and then, you know, she might say yes, 15 times or no, I haven't. I'm afraid of him or whatever. And then the manager probably needs to get involved with either a coaching her through uh, what kind of outcome she's looking for, like what would be a good outcome and ending with what would be your first uh, line of approach, like write the sentence, like how do you want to approach Billy um, or saying, well, let's get Billy in here and talk about it. And then the manager becomes the mediator and the manager can help each of them speak and listen to each other so that they both feel understood. That is foundational in mediation. Mediation um, actually was invented thousands of years ago by tribal leaders who brought their people together to sit in a circle to resolve social conflict. 
Um, today, mediation is um, a form of what we call ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution, which um, assists people with an opportunity to discuss a set of circumstances and come up with a solution better than either one of them could have come up with on their own. So as a mediator, you're really creating a safe space and facilitating the conversation. It's not my role as the mediator to come up with their solution. And I think that a good manager would not take responsibility to come up with a good solution rather than to help each of them come up with a solution that they both feel is a workable. And sometimes that just means like taking some baby steps in the right direction, building some trust, and then um, coming back to an accountability conversation so that the manager can keep tabs on this relationship between these two employees to make sure that they're doing okay. So those are some of the tips that I highly recommend. And and I know that sometimes, um, you know, some organizations have an HR department of 50 people and they've got the resources to do this. And sometimes they just don't even know where to start and they don't have any HR people and they need some help and they'll call in um, a third party like me. And so what I do in my process is I meet people one-on-one first for a confidential conversation to get a really good understanding from their perspective of what's going on. And it's a good coaching opportunity too, because I believe, and this is what, you know, my newest book, Sandbox Strategies for the New Workplace, tagline, conflict resolution from the inside out. I believe so much conflict can be resolved within the And so in those one-on-one appointments, I help people understand um, what their role is in the conflict because there's an entanglement, which means like we're both entangled, you know, it's not just one person's entangled and the other person's uh, angelic in all of their thoughts and behaviors. So I help people see what's theirs because you can't change what is not yours. You can only change your stuff, your perception, your attitude, your understanding. And if that's all you get to change, that's enough because um, typically what people do when they get into conflict is they point the blame. Yeah. It's their fault. They're everything. It's my manager's fault. It's my company's fault. It's the government's fault. It's the, you know, and so long as we're pointing the blame, we're giving our power away. Um, And so we're powerless. We have less power than if we look in the mirror, take responsibility for what's ours, fix that then we recognize that, you know, we have to let other people find their way. And that doesn't mean that they get to abuse us, but it does mean that we're not attached to their behavior because that's not ours to fix because we have enough work of our own to do. Um, So back to my process, I meet people one-on-one first. I hear their side of the story. It's confidential. I don't report back to anyone what anyone else said. That just makes the problem worse. Right. I help them understand what's theirs. I give them some tips and tools on how they can, you know, potentially feel better, think better, um, you know, chase higher thinking and thoughts and outcomes. And then I get all parties together to have a, a, that facilitated dialogue. And in that facilitated dialogue, we do a whole lot of speaking and listening to each other. So when somebody's speaking, somebody else is listening. After they've shared their frustrations, the listener can restate what they heard, and that needs to be managed. 
Yes. That's the part that needs to be managed because people interject or yeah. when it's their turn to restate what they've heard, they just start defending. And, it's, and so that has to be managed. And if people just follow the structure, they get to this point of feeling heard and understood and things calm down. And then from that perspective, they're both or all in a position of resolution. Like, let's come up with something better. Um, when people are in conflict, they often don't want to look each other in the eye. And so as the mediator, I'll often, um, like they'll be talking to me <laughs> rather than the, you know, like imagine we're sitting in a triangle and they're talking to me instead of the person that they should be talking to. So, um, I will say, oh, and please talk to Billy directly. And then I will drop my gaze down to my lap and I will not make eye contact because they will have to look over at Billy and make that eye contact because that's a human element of connection right there, right? So the end of the conversation sounds like they're making some new commitments. Like, you know, what do I need from you? What do you need from me? Okay, what do you want to commit to? And I write that down. And I don't write it up because that sounds nasty. That sounds intimidating right, right. to write something up. But I write it down for them usually a really simple like document and it, it's not in, in my work it's not intended to go to their hr file okay this is just yeah. like an agreement yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like we, we agree to do this we agree to do that if there's two commitments you know eight commitments whatever that's enough and then i'll hold them accountable to those commitments by booking another conversation into the near future like two weeks, eight weeks, whatever, uh, depending on how often these people see each other or work together or what's happening. Like if it's week before Christmas, you know, I might put that <laughs> off until mid-January. But I want to give them some time to practice, but I want them to know I'm coming back. Yeah. And I'm going to check in on them. And I want them to also know that they can reach out to me anytime. And I give them my business card and I say, call me if you're struggling because we will definitely get you straightened out. Yeah, I love that. And when you were talking about um, the importance of the facilitator and not holding responsibility for fixing the problem, I, I, I see things getting caught up a lot there in exactly what you described, the manager feeling that, oh, no, this is my responsibility to fix this, taking on too big, either taking on too big of a piece or ignoring it. You kind of see both. Uh, and developing those facilitation skills, I agree. It, it, it's really the foundation for it going well, because if there isn't a safe space where people can share and, and truly share, then the conflict's going to escalate. And it made me think of, we're actually in the midst of a mediation. Well, I should say I am. Um, I had filed uh, a human rights complaint on behalf of my son in regard to his service dog being refused in public. And when I stepped out of the store with the dog to try to continue the conversation. I was told again I needed to leave the store and there, it was very clear there was not going to be an engagement and conversation. So I filed a complaint because I think it's important, again, for inclusion purposes, I think it's important this business owner understands the law and their obligation to uphold that. And there's a piece of uh, me wanting my son to understand that this is his right and he can have a voice here. And so when I met with the mediator, she said exactly what you've said, that her role is to ensure that as I share my part, the other party does not interject and that when it's their turn to talk and share 
the impact or not the impact on the, I can't remember, but she told me all the frames that she will yeah. hold to make sure that works well. And she actually said to me, um, you may find it very difficult sharing the impact this has had on you and your family. And my response to her was, I mean, I do this as work myself. And I said to her, that's the part I want to do the most because I want to look at the person and I want to calmly explain the impact that it has on our family because I think that's the piece that will make a difference. It won't be ranting at her. It will be right. looking at her, possibly crying if that's what comes up, but just being vulnerable and honest yeah. as to why I've pursued this because of the impact it's had. And that's such a hard space to hold. And in the workplace, I see a lot of people, to get back to your point about not crying, saying things like, but this isn't therapy. This isn't what the workplace is meant for. And I do agree there's a line between therapy and work. However, what do you say to those comments about that this is beyond what we should be doing in the workplace, having these types of conversations? Well, I think that those comments come up because people fear um, or they're uncomfortable with a therapy in general. I'm not a therapist. I do not promote my work as therapy. But oftentimes at the end of my work, when I go around the circle, maybe it's two people, maybe it's 52 people, and I say, how was this for you? 99% of the people say, wow, we needed this. This has been so great. This has been so therapeutic. This is like therapy. And, uh, you know, this is like group therapy. And really what it is, is just an opportunity to put your tools down, whether that be like brooms, shovels, or cell phones, computers, whatever, just put everything aside, get face to face with each other for a real authentic and honest conversation. And what's coming up is coming out. And, you know, I work in a circle um, because I learned from Indigenous people and I put something in the center of the circle to symbolize, uh, like it's a focal point, really. It's something for people to look at. But back in the day, or even today, that would be a bonfire. That would be a fire. And it would be like burning up the frustration or the anger. And you know, the old adage of singing Kumbaya by the fire at the end. I've had so many workplace restorations, which is like an entire department goes for a mediation. And we restore the workplace back to positivity where it ends in group hugs and like group hugs, people hugging, high-fiving, handshaking, you know, tears of joy. Um, and it's just a really beautiful thing. So is it therapy? Yeah, I guess it is what people need it to be. And it's definitely a healing. It's definitely a healing. No, not only do I help people fix broken relationships, but I perform a healing for them afterward. And the accountability tool is something that I incorporated during the pandemic when I was sitting at home with a whole lot of time on my hands. And I was thinking about the problems, like the biggest setbacks from the service that I offer. Or, you know, as a professional speaker as well, one of the setbacks we have is that people leave our session or our keynote and they're highly engaged and motivated, but over time that sizzles out, right? So how do we combat that? Well, we combat that by having tools and accountability in place so that people change their behavior. They know I'm coming back. And my goal is so that I don't have to come back. Although I'd love to come back. 
my goal is to create a, a lack of dependence on me. Mm-hmm. So I want people to hold their own teams accountable and learn how to do that, right? But um, a lot of times these problems have been in the works for a long time. It's taken a long time to create the entanglement that's been created. And it takes time to untangle. But really what's needed the most is trust. People need to regain trust in each other and for each other. And that's why... um, the accountability is important because, you know, they go through this process. It costs money. It costs money to go through the process, but it costs way more to stay in the conflict. But we're looking for results. We're not just looking for a day off. Right. 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 Yeah, <laughs> we're looking for, for results. Sure. And we want things to get better. And, you know, I just got a text yesterday from this gentleman who's on the verge of retirement. And he texts me about six times a year and checks in with me. And uh, a year ago, I helped him through something that could have like ended his career on a horrible note. Um, But you know what? He went through the process. He was so appreciative of it. He thinks of me as like his Yoda, you know, but he's really the hero. And I think that is really what we're looking for is for people to just keep getting better and better. And at the end of the day, if you think about your favorite, um, most graceful people. They're probably your grandparents or people of those elder years who have been through a lot of opportunity to be vulnerable, like to save face and to go and show up to knock on someone's door before we had uh, the opportunity to call them or text them and say like, you know what, can we talk about this or can we work something out? You matter because we're creatures of community, you know, and as much as we think that we can live alone and push people off and block and delete and all that stuff, we really do crave a sense of belonging and and trust and value and being valued. And so that's what I really desire to help people with is creating those strong connections. Um, I talk in sandbox terms because, you know, I'm the sandbox lady, the developer of the sandbox system which first resolves any conflict, then provides a foundation for leadership training in interpersonal relationships, managing conflict, assertiveness and confrontational skills, that type of stuff. And then, you know, the third stage is planning and strategy planning. And the fourth stage is accountability. And that's the system. And it's strong and powerful and growing um, and one day when there's no conflict left in workplaces, I'm going to retire. But uh, <laughs> my life will beyond getting my new book in, into people's hands so that they can learn. Like there's so much value in investing in yourself, right? Yeah. In relationships. And so um, I put together a lot of stories and training and research. And I have a great book called Sandbox Strategies for the New Workplace. Uh, It just came out in June and it's part of my handout material now when I work with groups. I want them to like, hey, everyone turn to page 72. Like, let's like look at this example or story or there's so many rich nuggets in there. And um, I think that no matter what sector you're in, you're not immune to conflict. Um, Healthcare, for example, a highly stressed out sector right now. And we need to learn ways to communicate. You know, like my daughter's a new RN. She's um, 23 and she's working in Ottawa. And she came home after her first week of working and said to me, Mom, I have patients who call me an effing bee. 
I'm like, what? Yep. Like that, like if you notice there's signs up in a lot of different um, services that say like, please be respectful to our staff. You know, like we really need to recognize the value of grace and respect and relationships. I have such amazing things that happen to me in my life. And I'm always working on making people feel better about themselves in my interactions. And I think, you know, karma comes around, right? Like when you get pulled over by a police officer and you can be like really super graceful, or if you get a charge on your uh, service charge at the bank and you really want to, you know, if you go in there, guns a blazing, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you go in with um, a soft approach and you are friendly and you're willing to state your case, accept whatever decision that they make, but at least speak up for yourself. It's amazing how many great people are out there to help. Yeah. I think everything you're saying, you know, makes so much sense because looking at what we contribute is, like you said, it's the only thing we can do. And it brings such impact to the workplace, to our home lives, to our stress levels. Like it just is to me that the base skills for living a happy life, a happy, productive, fulfilling life. And it seems so simple. And yet I do find that when you're too close to it, it's hard even yourself to see all the different pieces. And so bringing somebody like you in, uh, I can absolutely see how it just gives like leaps and moves teams leaps and bounds further than to do that yourself. Because I know even myself when I'm in moments of conflict and I will reach out to friends I know to say, hey, right, just to, again, to help you see a perspective you might not be seeing, to help you get out of that stress response, whatever it is in the moment, but knowing that um, we're often too close to it ourselves. And then you build those skills and you have more and more moments where you're able to do that yourself. Uh, and then you also build your own team of people who, like yourself, you can reach out to when the moments Absolutely. are very high. Yeah. Yes, because you're right. You know, we, you, you can be too close to it to really see it. Like, it's a lot easier for me to help other people with their conflict than to deal with my own. Right. That's always the way. Yeah, and it's and, true of and everyone. You know, that's an interesting thing for therapists to recognize or social workers to recognize because, you know, we often go into... Uh, line of work to help people. And it can be a great place to hide. Yeah. I had a spiritual teacher ask me what I did uh, in front of a group. I stood up. I said, I'm a teacher of adults. She said, oh, that's a great place to hide. <laughs> yeah, That like hit me like a ton yeah. of bricks. I was so insulted at first. And then I thought, you know, where's the truth in this? Mm. And it's easier to write 10 books than it is to live the strategies every day of one. Some of my greatest gurus, like Dr. Joe Dispenza, he'll talk in an interview and say, oh, I follow to grace all the time, but I have the tools to be aware and get myself back, you know, on track. And I think that that's what we need to to, uh, respect as being a human is that we aren't perfect and we need to be self-aware and we need to keep constantly course correcting and we need people around us to help us. Yeah. Yeah. That was a brilliant example you shared of that moment of that reactivity of, oh, what is she saying? Right. It's all her. And then that pause of, oh, wait a second. Where's the part in this that is true? And that is the skill and the muscle to keep 
flexing yeah. and, and, and that, building. And that yeah. pause was a long time. It yeah. wasn't like a moment. Yeah. It was like a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. It was a couple of months of staying in the work and, you know, feeling like I was eating mud and like, where's the bless in this mess? And then coming out the other side going, oh my gosh, I learned so much about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Penny, I do, um, of course, want to let the listeners know where they can get your new book. So tell me where they can find it, please. Okay. Well, pennytromblay.com. So um, I know my name is very popular in Quebec. But <laughs> M-B-L-A-Y, that's P-E-N-N-Y-T-R-E-M-B-L-A-Y.com. There's a menu at the top of my website that says books and sandbox strategies for the new workplace is there. Um, and the reason that uh, I send people there is because, yes, it's available at all of your favorite book resellers, Amazon and, you know, Books a Million and Indie Books and whatever, but they're all listed there on that page. So you can um, buy it from your favorite bookstore. And please leave me a review. We are working on uh, getting book reviews right now. So, you know, that would be very helpful for me. If people out there really want to give me a boost, uh, that would be a great way to do it. And yeah, a lot of information about the work that I do is on my website. I have a discovery call, complimentary discovery call button at the bottom of most pages. Uh, if people are looking for ideas on how to create a great corporate culture, resolve uh, workplace conflict, create better workplace relationships, please look to the Sandbox system, which you'll find on my website. And thank you for having me back on your great podcast. Well, and thank you again for being our first guest to come back twice. I really appreciate your, your time to come over uh, a few times and share your insights and wisdom with all of us. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, for me too, Penny. Thanks. For the listeners, I hope that this episode has left you with a renewed commitment to yourself, to knowing who you are and standing tall in your values, while also leaving space for those around you, to choosing growth, courage, and empathy, even in your most difficult leadership moments, to becoming the leader everyone wants to follow. We'll see you back again next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Workplace Communication Podcast with Lindsay LaPaquette. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share and also leave a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. If your organization is looking to invest in elevating team performance by refining leadership communication skills, you can find more information about Lindsay's coaching, speaking, and consulting by visiting lindsaylapaquette.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.